Good morning, church. Everybody doing all right? Good. And my name is Stephen Pollard. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Gateway. I'm so excited to be diving into God's Word with y'all this morning, especially this Christmas season. And I just, I, I love Christmas. I love everything about it. Baking the cookies, seeing the kids unwrap presents, decorating, the whole thing. I love decorating because I get to watch my wife decorate, but I still enjoy um, that part of it. I've also, like, I've, I've loved this series that we're going through. A couple weeks ago, we got to see, uh, hear from Blake and saying all he wanted for Christmas um, is peace. We got to hear from our elders last Sunday and get to hear different perspectives and things like that. And so this week, we're going to continue on with that theme is all I want for Christmas um, is to be a part of what God is doing. Um, and so we'll dive into a little bit of that here uh, momentarily. But this series has got me thinking about um, as a kid, all the things that I wanted for Christmas. And, you know, Christmas is such a nostalgic time where, you know, as you put ornaments on the tree, you think back to Christmases past long ago and all that stuff and just the different traditions and experiences that we've all uh, had. And that's such a cool thing. And I remember being a kid um, and things like all I wanted for Christmas was a Teddy Ruxpin. Do y'all remember Teddy Ruxpin? Any of y'all? Raise your hand if y'all had. Was I the only? Okay. Everybody on this side of the room had a Teddy Ruxpin. Y'all were deprived as children. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but what Teddy Ruxpin was is this teddy bear that in the back of it had a cassette player. And so kids, what a cassette was, was a little plastic thing <laughs> that went in and you hit play and it played music. Well, this Teddy Ruxpin, you put a tape in and you hit play and it would read a story for you and its little mouth moved and it was incredible. Like all I wanted was a Teddy Ruxpin and I got one one year and it was the coolest thing ever that I had a Teddy Ruxpin. And then I got a little bit older and in high school, all I wanted for Christmas was a Kentucky, University of Kentucky starter jacket. Anybody have starter jackets back in the day? A few of y'all like starter jackets, like they were the ugliest, like gaudiest things. Like I don't even, now they're like, they're popular again. I see kids wearing starter jackets, but what they were, were these like extremely bright with crazy shapes all over them jackets and it had like a giant pocket in the front mine said Kentucky and then like you could literally keep everything you owned in the pocket in the front of it and it had a giant starter zipper on the front that like it made me look like I was some rapper and I had this giant chain on and this big starter emblem on it but that's all I wanted was a starter jacket and I got it and then it's funny like as a kid you know Christmas can be very superficial. It's about starter jackets and Teddy Ruxpins and whatever kids want now, hoverboards and all that good stuff. Um, but then as you become an adult, it becomes a little less superficial. And I remember um, just entering into adulthood, and I'm so thankful, like, all I've ever done as an adult is this. Like, I've been in ministry my entire adult life. And so thinking, like, all I want for Christmas, like a, a component of it is like, I love being with my family. I love watching my kids open up presents on Christmas morning. Like, I just, I love all of it. I love the tradition, but also love being with my church family. Like, y'all are such an important part of all I want for Christmas. And a lot of that was, I spent years as a single youth pastor. Like, I didn't have a family, didn't have um, a wife, and so my church family became such an integral part of what I did each year. And that's all I wanted was to be a part of, 
of that. And that's why I love, like, I love candlelight services with you guys. I love this year, like, the day after Christmas is Sunday, so it's going to be on the 26th. And we're just going to have a breakfast for those of you that are here that I can eat. I'm so looking forward to that, like, because it's such a huge component. Like, you guys are literally, like, all I want for Christmas is just to be with y'all um, and to be with my family. And there was a time in my life when I didn't have a lot of that. And so we'll talk a, a little bit about that um, momentarily. Um, but I just, again, I just, I love Christmas. But again, our, our question that we're diving into, the thing that we need to be looking at this morning is all I want for Christmas is to be a part of what God is doing. So we're going to look at Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 11. And I love this text. Like, it is such a beautiful, beautiful text, an example of who God is and what he's doing. And so a lot of times in the Old Testament, um, you see God's wrath and God's people have turned against God. And so therefore they're experiencing um, what this life is like being separated from him. And you get to see uh, this different side of God in Isaiah 61. And it's a, a precursor. What we get to see is just what this Messiah is going to mean uh, to God's people. And so we see Old Testament prophets talking about the Messiah that's to come. And then we see the New Testament apostles proclaiming who Jesus Christ is to them. And so I love this, this text because you get to see the heart and the nature of who God is and what he's going to deliver to us through the birth of our salvation, through Jesus Christ coming to, to, to earth to live this perfect, sinless life so that we might obtain righteousness. So if you have your Bible, again, Isaiah 61, we're going to read 1 through 11 uh, together here. It's a long text, but again, it's beautiful. So I want you to really like, I want you to absorb God's word this morning. Like This is such a beautiful text and it gets me like, it's not a Christmas text other than the, the Messiah is coming, but it's just a beautiful example of who God is and the desires he has for us and what his mission is. So Isaiah 61 starting in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and, to the, and the opening of the prisons to those who were bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks, foreigners shall be plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in the land they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. 
Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them. And they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me in the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as earth brings forth sprouts. And as the garden causes the sown in it to sprout up. So the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before the nations. It's a beautiful text of who our God is. The things that he's about. And allowing us to be a part of those things. You have to excuse me, I'll take a drink here. That wind this week had a massive allergy attack earlier in the week, and I'm still kind of nasally and recovering from that, so I apologize. I have to drink some water here and there. But I love this picture because it's a picture of God smiling down on his people. And exactly the things, the links that he's going to go to for us. We get to see this physical act of what God is going to do to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to return what has been taken. We're going to see that this physically happen, then we're also going to see and we're going to look at the spiritual component of it. But as I was thinking about this series and all I wanted for Christmas, you know, there was a time in my life where I just wanted to be a part of something. And as a kid, and I remember growing up, I spent my junior high years and high school years, I lived in Billings, Montana. Um, there's not a whole lot of people. Uh, there's another family in the church here that li- that's from Montana. I think we're the only people that might have lived there for certain years. It's not a very big state. It's a huge state, but not a lot of people live there. It's extremely hard to get in and out of. It's the coldest place on earth. I've never felt cold like I felt in Billings, Montana. And I lived there. And it was some very formal years, and I had these experiences that um, drew me so much closer to God. I had no idea how he was going to bless me. But one of the things that stands out is when I was a teenager, um, I lived there with my grandparents. But as a kid, growing up in Kentucky, we had all of our family around. So Christmas was um, all about tradition, and family would come over, and it was just extremely fun. And then we moved to Montana. Like I said, it's the, one of the hardest places in the world to get in and out of. Um, it was just me and my grandparents. And they would gift me every single year a plane ticket so I could fly back to Kentucky during winter break and get to see my family and friends and uh, get to see my mom and my brother. And then I would come back home. Um, but because it's such a difficult place to get in and out of, a lot of times I would fly out on Christmas Eve that evening. And so Christmas Eve, tradition was I would spend that entire day with my grandparents. And truly, like, all I really wanted was just to be with them. Uh, There's a a desire that I had to go back and see this family that I had missed, but that was my family. So it was kind of this bittersweet time, um, and we would open up presents together. And I remember one particular year, I got my Kentucky starter jacket, um, and I also got a Discman. Do you all remember Discman? How many of you all had Discman? It was like the first portable, like it wasn't no longer, you didn't need Walkmans anymore because you didn't have cassettes. Now you have a Discman. And I loved it because I had my Levi's silver tab jeans and those pockets were big enough where I could keep the Discman in my pant pocket. And it was really awesome because my Discman had a 10 second skip delay. I still don't know what that means, but I felt really rich because I had that. Um, and so open up my gifts. I got my, my Discman 
I got my starter jacket, and then I also got fresh off the shelves, the brand new released album by Hootie and the Blowfish. So I got to listen to Hootie and the Blowfish while I'm getting on this airplane to go back uh, to Kentucky. But like I said, it's a hard, it's a very challenging place to get in and out of. So um, we would open up all my gifts. I had all my stuff and my grandparents would take me to the airport. And again, I was 14, did this when I was 14, 15, and 16. I was a kid. Like I can't say like, think of it now that I'm a a dad, like I can't imagine my twin boys, like when they're 14, just saying, hey, son, here's plane tickets. Y'all figure it out. Um, but I did it. And I'm still alive. Um, and so they take me to the airport in Billings, Montana, and I get on my first flight, and I fly from Billings to Salt Lake City, Utah. Relatively quick flight, but it's Christmas Eve. It's that night. And look around the airplane, not a whole lot of people on the airplane. I get to the airport, and I love to people watch, but I'm also a little bit high strung and I have to be early to stuff. And so like, as soon as I would get off my plane, I would go to my next gate because I didn't want to miss it. I was terrified of missing flights. Um, and I would rush to my next gate and I would sit there in my starter jacket and my Hootie and the Blowfish album and my Discman. I would just watch people in the airport and it's been to hit me like, this is like, it's like midnight. We're headed into Christmas. And all I wanted was just to be a part of what everybody else had at Christmas. They were all getting ready to go to bed, to wake up Christmas morning, to have this perfect Christmas where siblings wake up and the parents are there and they open up uh, their, their gifts. I'm sitting in an airport and it's time for my next flight. And so I get on a flight from Salt Lake City, Utah, and I land in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's a six-hour flight, a lot of time to listen through the Hootie and the Blowfish album a good three or four times. And so... <laughs> If you want to know, I know every word to every single song on that CD. Um, And I land in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I rush to my gate, and I'm sitting there, and I look out the windows, and it's Christmas morning. Like, by the time I get to Cincinnati, Ohio, everybody that I know is waking up, and they're opening up their gifts with their family. But I'm sitting in an airport, and I'm by myself, and like, all I wanted, the only thing I wanted for Christmas was to be a part of something. Like, be a part of a family, just normal. Like, I had a very specific image, like hot chocolate, and everybody's happy. Now that I'm grown up, I realize, like, Christmas is just chaos. But in my head at that time, like, I just wanted to be a part of it. And then I'd get on my next flight, and I would fly from Cincinnati, Ohio, to Knoxville, Tennessee. My family would be there to pick me up in Knoxville, Tennessee, and then we would drive two hours from Knoxville, Tennessee, to my hometown in Kentucky. And so by the time I got to my family and my friend's house in Kentucky, like it was Christmas night, like I'd missed all of it. But I tell you this story because like I, have no, I had no idea how immensely the Lord was going to bless me years later to see the things that he's about. And when I thought, I was like, I just want to be a part of something. And like what I realized is like we're a part of this massive thing that God did, but he called us by name. And sometimes in the midst of our, our, our trouble, our struggle, whatever we're going through, it's hard for us to see how the Lord was going to bless us. So like I said before, my entire life, my entire adult life, I've been in ministry. And I get to go before I, I married Natalie and had kids and, and got to see all the, the joy of being with family. I got to be with my church family. And I got to be about what God was about 
very young in my adult life, and I loved it. Then I married Natalie, and we have kids, and I get to see them open up their presents. And, you know, the, again, just the, the greatest part about being a dad on Christmas is you get to see them open up these great gifts, and then I get to play with them, and it's not creepy at all. Like, if you see an adult man in a toy store playing with things, like, it's kind of creepy, but it's like, if it's a dad jumping on a trampoline with his kids, like, it's awesome. I get to enjoy all these great toys that they get that I didn't have when I was a kid, because I just had a Teddy Ruxpin. Um, but you don't always see what God is doing in the midst of everything that's going on. And now I stand for it, it's like, again, I had, had no clue how immensely he was going to bless me. And to see y'all be a part of that blessing is such an important thing. But again, church, all I want for Christmas at that time as a teenager was to be a part of something. And I had no idea that he was calling us to be a part of one another's life, to be about what he's about. So we're going to look into that. In verses 1 through 3, um, you get to see... Um, in 1 through 3 in, in Isaiah 61, you get to see what God is about. He, he, he lays out his mission um, of healing the brokenhearted, to, to setting the captives free, to restoring things that were lost. But then also, church, we get to see in Luke 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 4. And this is the start of Jesus' ministry. He's walking in to the temple, and he's going to read a text that establishes who he is to the people. So starting in verse 16. It says, and he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as it was custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind to set at to set at liberty those who have been oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed upon him. So he came back to Nazareth. He's in the temple. This is Jesus establishing his ministry, and he reads Isaiah 61, which when the prophet Isaiah is reading it to his people, when he's telling God's people about what's going on, he's establishing what God's mission is. He said there's going to be a Messiah. He's going to heal the brokenhearted. He's going to set the captives free. He's going to restore everything that has been taken. And again, there's a physical blessing in the midst of that, and there's also a spiritual blessing. We're going to look at that. And the prophet Isaiah, when people were hearing that at that time, what's about to happen is the temple is about to be destroyed. They're going to be sold into captivity, God's people. They're going to be um, slaves to the Babylonians. They're going to be slaves to the Assyrians. Everything that they own is going to be taken from them. And what they're hearing is God's going to restore all of those things. He's going to heal our broken hearts. He's going to set us free. And now you have Jesus in the temple reading this text to God's people, and he's saying, I'm here for the brokenhearted. I'm here for those who are bound in sin that are captive. And I'm here to restore everything that has been taken. I'm going to gift it back to you. And I'm not going to hold anything over your head. It says, all the temple, they fix their eyes on Jesus. But if you continue reading in that text, what happens is they then are not ready to hear that Jesus is the Messiah. What they're thinking is somebody is going to sit on the throne, the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to give their land back. He's going to push the Romans out of their land, and it's going to restore physically, only physically, what's been going on. 
Here's Jesus saying, I've come for all the brokenhearted. I've come for all those who are captive. I've come to reset everything right. They turn against him. They start to cry out that they're going to stone him. They kill him. They run Jesus out of the temple. In the very next part of Luke 4, he heals the blind. He heals the sick. He proclaims the gospel in the temples. And he establishes himself as the Messiah. So again, I love these two texts together because it establishes what God is about. It establishes his purpose. And again, all I want for Christmas is to be a part of what God is doing. So there's three major points that come out in these first three verses in Isaiah 61. So we're going to read those um, together, these first couple of verses, we're going to read those together, and I'm going to talk through a little bit about what God is doing and what that call is. What does it look like for us to be a part of what God is doing? And the first point is that he heals the brokenhearted. In, in 61 verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So again, What's about to happen in Isaiah 61 when the prophet is talking about the Messiah to come, the temple's going to be destroyed, they're going to be sold into captivity, and the prophet is telling them, but he's going to come and heal your broken hearts. Now sometimes Christmas isn't as joyful as it is for some. Some of us experience loss during that time. Some of us have struggles and heartache that we're going through. And we serve a God that physically wants to mend and heal our broken hearts. But church, there's also a spiritual component to this. On a deeper, more spiritual level, he's speaking to those who are broken over their sin. And that's something that unites every single one of us, that each and every one of us were saved. If we know who Jesus Christ is, we know why he was born in the major, if we know why he died on that cross, what his blood actually covers, each and every one of us knows what it means to be brokenhearted. And we are redeemed, and we are purchased, and we are about what God is about. So again, church, all we want for Christmas is to be about what God is doing. And what he's doing is he's healing the brokenhearted. So church, we have an opportunity everywhere we go to be able to share the good news of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. We're to be about what God is about. All I want for Christmas is to be about the mission of God, and he's, his mission is to heal the brokenhearted. And I can be a part of that. He's calling each of us. It's like I've healed you from your brokenheartedness. Now come and join me in my mission. The second thing is that he gives freedom to those who are held captive. He says to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So the prophet Isaiah says, is, is telling God's people that he sent me to proclaim liberty to those who are captive, uh, to set free to the prisoners. For the people of Judah, you're going to be held up captive, but God's going to restore that, and he's going to set you free. That's the physical side. But the spiritual side that we start to see really manifest in Luke 4, when Jesus establishes his ministry and he proclaims to be the Messiah, that each and every one of us are captive to our sin. And the mission of God is to set us free from those chains of bondage. So all I want for Christmas is to be about what God is doing. He has set each and every one of us free. 
He's broken those chains, and now we're called to be a part of what he's doing. So again, church, everywhere we go, we have this opportunity to look out in this world, and we can see the brokenness, we can see the heartache, and we can see those who are captive to their sin. And we have the opportunity to be able to talk through and share exactly who Jesus is to us and what he's done for us, that I'm no longer brokenhearted, and I'm no longer held captive because Jesus Christ has set me free. Church, all I want for Christmas is to be a part of what he's doing, and I want to do it with you. In verse 3, it says, He restores what has been taken to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So he says, I've been sent to declare the year of Jubilee. In Leviticus 25, this, this act of Jubilee is established in every 50 years. What Jubilee is, is every debt that you owe, it is set back to zero in in Jewish culture. If your land has been taken because you couldn't afford it, that land was restored back to you. If you were a slave and in bondage, those chains were broken off and you were then set free in the year of Jubilee. And so what the prophet Isaiah is saying is like, I'm establishing the year of Jubilee. God is going to do something that, that this, this very man-made act of Jubilee where we, we set captives free, where we, our debts are forgiven. He's going to do something so much bigger and that the year of Jubilee is going to extend forever. And that's what we see Jesus Christ proclaiming. I'm proclaiming the year of Jubilee that we're no longer brokenhearted, that we are no longer captive to our sin, and I'm restoring everything to you. You see, church, when we think of Jubilee, it's this very physical representation of, of what Christ did for us on the cross, and that we get to receive the spiritual side of the year of Jubilee, and we live it every single day. Our debts are forgiven daily. If we know who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us on the cross, it doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what you've said, doesn't matter where you've fallen short. In church, I'm here to tell you, so many times I have conversations that I'm like, I just want, I, I want to do a little bit better for God before I give my life more to him. In church, I'm telling you, like, that, that doesn't exist. He's not hanging any of this over you like a a debt that has to be paid, that he's freely came and died on the cross, and he's saying, I just want you to be a part of what I'm about. And what he's about is is healing the brokenhearted, is setting the captives free, and restoring things back to us that we don't owe any debt to him. He just wants his children. He just wants his children. And church, as we get ready to close Um, What we see in this text is everything that God has set us free from, he set us free through the saving blood of Jesus Christ. That jubilee is proclaimed through him and him alone. All our debts are removed and all that's left is his mission. To heal the brokenhearted, to give freedom to the captives, and to restore all that's been taken. So a couple days ago, we got to wrap up our men's ministry, and, and we've been going through uh, James in the Bible, and, and we went through this, this part in James, but what I told our guys, and this is very important for us um, as believers to realize, that God is not looking for our 
perfection. What he's looking for is our progress. Where are you at with your relationship with the Lord? He's not wanting your perfection. Your debts have been canceled. You don't owe anybody anything. All he's wanting is you, his sons and daughters, to be in unity with him. And like I said before, we fail daily. But God is not looking for our perfection. He's looking for our progress. So where are you at in your relationship with the Lord? And what's the next step that you need to take to develop into the disciple that he's calling you to develop to? Because here's the deal, church. Coming on Sunday morning and getting to hear the the amazing worship that we get to hear. Uh, And again, church, when y'all see Judd and his team, give them a big hug. Like, it's incredible the things that they do and the talent that's on this stage, but also the heart that comes in behind it. But if that's all your faith is, is showing up here on Sunday morning, what God tells us in Scripture, it says if you're lukewarm, he spits us out. So now the, the response that Jesus saw in the temple when they turned against him and they started to stone him, that's an appropriate response. They said, you're not the Messiah. And the appropriate response was to say no when they run him out of the temple. The only other response left is that you are the Messiah. You are exactly who you say you are, and you're healing the brokenhearted. You're setting the captives free, and you're restoring everything that has been wronged. So the next appropriate response is, I give you everything. So church, what's your next step in your faith with him? Are you giving him everything? But again, church, he's not looking for your perfection. He loves you exactly how you are. He's looking for your progress. So my prayer for each and every one of you is that the the taste of conviction that we experience as believers, that isn't a bitter taste, but it is a sweet taste. And the reason why conviction needs to be a sweet taste is because it means this God, this creator of the heavens and the earth, that sent all these prophets to proclaim who he is and what he's going to do, who established the apostles in the early church to be able to preach the truth about who Jesus Christ is and what he's done on the cross. The reason why conviction needs to be sweet is because God is doing a work in us, that he thought so much of us that he wants us to progress. He's not about our perfection. He's about our progress. So again, church, as I challenge you today to whatever it is, if it's read your Bible more, if it's share your faith more, if it's whatever it is, if it's just cast all your burdens, your worries, your cares to him, whatever it is, I'm asking you and I'm pleading with you today to take that step. And the taste of conviction cannot be bitter. It has to be sweet because the God that created everything knows you by name and he's doing a work in you. So church, all I want for Christmas is to be a part of what God is doing. All I want for Christmas is to be able to walk with him, to see the brokenhearted be healed. All I want for Christmas is to see those that are held captive to their sin to be set free. All I want for Christmas is for those of us in this room as we study God's word together and we're carrying weights that we shouldn't carry. All I want for Christmas is to see us realize the extent that he fights for us. That all our debts are forgiven. And that the sweet taste of conviction consumes us. And it calls us 
to be about the mission of God. Let's pray. Lord, I come before you today. I thank you so much for the opportunity we get to be together, the opportunity we get to, to study your word. Lord, I pray as we get ready to leave this place and we get to enjoy uh, the festivities of this season, Lord, I pray that we're about seeing the brokenhearted be healed. Lord, I pray that we're about setting the captives free. I pray that our discipleship and our pursuit of you supersedes everything else and that we become better husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and children of you. So, Lord, I pray that the taste of conviction in each of our mouths is always sweet because a God loves us more than we can imagine. So, Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to dwell heavy in this place as we respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.